Matthew chapter 12, uh, starting at verse 22. So that's 977 in the chairs in front of you, in the Bibles in front of you, sorry. Titled Jesus and Beelzebub. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Amen. So please keep your Bibles open and let's pray together. Father, as we look at this passage and as we consider what you may be saying to us, I pray that our ears would be unstopped, that hearts would be open, and you would ignite our imagination. Lord, draw us to yourself. Have your way with us. We ask in Christ and by your Spirit. Amen. So this little mini-series called Faith Healer, looking at sin, wounds, and demons comes to an end today. We've touched on some themes of sin, some themes of wounds, and some and today a little bit about demons. And the purpose of looking at this, these topics is we're looking at things that are a hindrance to us becoming like Christ. For those of us who are born again, who are filled with the Spirit, that process of journeying with Jesus and in the power of the Spirit, we become like Him, we, we obey everything that He has commanded, and we reflect, like, we reflect in our attitudes and our minds, etc., what He is like. And so looking at these topics is all about well, what's in the way. And uh, we've said that sin needs to be repented of, wounds need to be healed, and demons need to be expelled. So that's a wee three way of looking at sins need to be forgiven, repented, wounds need to be healed, and demons, experiences, whatever it may be, need to be expelled from us. And the remedy for these afflictions um, can't easily be applied one to another. So for instance, you can't cast out a sin, neither can you heal a sin, but sin needs to be repented of. You can't cast out a wound, 
Neither can you repent of a wound. And yet wounds need to be healed. And furthermore, you can't heal a demon. Neither can you repent of a demon. Repentance actually in that, at that time isn't enough to deal with demonic forces. But rather, demons need to be expelled, to be cast out. Discernment is needed in this. It is no easy task. And often our experiences are not so straightforward. Often our experiences are a combination of all three. So our sinning, the things that we do, the things that we say, the, thing, the way that we think can actually be a coping mechanism for deep-seated wounds in our lives, memories, things that have happened in the past, wounds to our spirit. Equally so, those sinful behaviours can be empowered where those wounds are used as a breeding ground for the demonic. So demons, demonic influences can influence our lives through sins, our behaviours, and through wounds, things that have not been healed, things that people have done to us, deep-seated spiritual things. So my question right away, without any PowerPoint, because I thought I didn't want any distraction this morning, and I'm going to be reading a lot, because I know in this area I could be sidetracked far, far too easily. My first question is, where is the battle line in this whole area of demons and how they affect us? First of all, I need to say we must be careful not to become infatuated with demonology, with all things demon. You know, something has happened to me, it must be a demon. There's a demon under that bush, under that rock, etc. There are some people who see demons in absolutely everything. I, like a lot of people, enjoyed the whole Piercing the Darkness series of, of books. Really enjoyed it as a young teenager uh, growing up. But we need to watch that we don't go too far. Because some people are obsessed with demonology. For myself... I can think of two or three very definite experiences that were out of this, were, were extraordinary. For instance, I was called into a school once in Stirling by a head teacher because the head teacher said, there's a young boy that would like to speak to the chaplain. His name was Darren, I believe. And the head teacher said to me on the phone, he is seeing dead people. So I arranged for a teacher in that a classroom assistant in that uh, school who was a believer from Zimbabwe, who was used to uh, lots of weird and wonderful things happening. I arranged for Jess to be sitting in there with me, to be praying and obviously for accountability. And as I was asking this young guy, Darren, what his experiences were, what he was finding, he says, I'm seeing dead people all the time. I'm scared, I'm terrified. This boy may have been 10, 11, something like that. And I said, and so in unpacking his story, he said to me, he was a foster kid and he's been batted around from pillar to post in different foster homes. And his present foster home, the couple went to the spiritualist church. Now, 
my great aunt was the and great uncle were the grand wizard and wizardess of the spiritualist church in Scotland. Her brother, my granddad, was a born-again believer. And I believe his prayers have been an influence in me coming to faith in Christ when I was 15. So I was used to this, and I've got second cousins who today would claim to see dead people who are mediums, etc. And so this young boy says, I get taken to the medium church and, and, and when he goes home, he's terrified. And as he was telling me his story, just at that point, he went grey. Even now I can feel the goosebumps. He went completely grey. I could feel the hairs in the back of my head standing up. And I said, is someone here, Darren? And he nodded. And he was looking over my right shoulder. And he said, there's an old man and he's very angry with me because I'm talking with you. And I said, let's pray. And in that moment of praying, I thank Jesus for the cross, for the victory, that he's the risen one and he has trampled death under his feet and he is the, the, the saving one etc, etc, etc. But it was, it was prayers on the, the edge of your seat. And as I said, amen, he was different. He wasn't grey anymore. And he says, the man has disappeared. So I tell you that story because it happened to me 15 years ago, maybe. And I could tell you maybe two or three other occasions where I'm like, whoa, this is, this is unusual. But on the whole, my experience of the powers and principalities are everyday experiences. Frustrations, bad attitudes, sin in my own life, footholds, and not so much experiences like that. But I share it because not that I'm an expert in any shape or form, and I know that for my children, I can remember dearly for Joshua, who's now 20, praying for Josh there would be no influence of Masonic. My family is rife with Masonic. There's no influence of the spiritualist church. I can remember praying specifically for Josh because in Christ I stand and over my children I was praying. But that is quite extraordinary and it doesn't happen every day for me. What is the battle line? Should we be going out and looking for a demon under every bush and under every rock, etc.? I don't believe so. I believe the battle line is this. We as born-again people are to practice the presence of God. What I mean by that is this. Jeremiah 29, 13 says this. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. We pray to God. We look to God for our salvation, for our covering, for our protection. Every day we practice the presence of God. Are we in a battle? Of course we are. Therefore, we must remember the plane in which we do battle, the position that we do battle. We acknowledge what Paul says through the, to the Ephesians in chapter 6, a passage that we know extremely well. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. However, you may, as, as I often have done, put on the full armor every day, as, as it were, and pray for children to be full, 
the, the full armor. I even have worn uh, a bracelet on my wrist one day to remember about the shield of faith, and I've tied it around my belt one day to remember the belt of truth, all these wee things to help me to remember that every single day that I'm in a battle. However, in, the, in Jude, the book of Jude, the letter, the small letter of Jude, we learn that the battle belongs to the Lord. He says this in Jude 9, even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare himself to condemn the devil for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Where is the plane in which we stand? The ground in which we stand? We stand in Christ. He is the victorious one. I ain't going to jump in there whenever I think there's a demonic forces and say, I cast you out, I expel you. Even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but rather said, the Lord rebuke you, because the battle belongs to the Lord. And we who are born again, our task is to pray, to look for God, for our salvation, for our covering, for our protection. When we seek him, we will find him. When we seek him with all of our heart, in other words, practice the presence of God. And we are, we are in, in a good place if we do that. So what are the signs of the kingdom? Turn with me to Ephesians, please. Uh, chapter uh, 2. In fact, if I get my phone, I'm going to try and read this to you. Uh, Bible Gateway. I'm going to try my best to read this to you through the Amplified Version. The Amplified Bible. Uh, where is it? Here we are. You can follow it in your version you have here of there, but I just wanted to read it this way. And you, people who are born again, he made alive when you were spiritually dead and separated from him because of your transgressions and transgressions and sins. In him you once in which sorry you once walked. You were following the ways of this world, influenced by the present age in accordance with the prince of the power of the air, Satan, the spirit who is now at work and the disobedient, the unbelieving who fight against the purposes of God. Quite different from your version, amplified in a dramatic way, is, is eking that out there. Those who are not born again, those who wouldn't consider themselves, consider themselves Christians or disciples of Christ, or religious would consider themselves free, free to do whatever they want. That's par for course. I mean, that's just generally what you think. And, and yet the Bible disagrees absolutely and completely with that. The Bible would say this, you're following the ways of this world. You're influenced by the present age in accordance with the prince 
So by a person, you're influenced by the prince of the power of air, in other words, Satan, the spirit who is now at work in you because you're disobedient, you're unbelieving, and you're fighting against the purposes of God. That is what the Bible says about those who do not follow Christ. I'm not making this up. We could read that in Ephesians to see if I'm making it up. It will say it in a slightly different way. Verse 2, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So although people think they're free, even people who were once believers and who may consider themselves backslidden and struggling in their faith, they're going to live the life, their life the way that they want to. It seems to be easier. The Bible's saying, actually, you're being manipulated by the devil. He is pulling your strings. He is influencing you in ways that are contrary to you living life in all of its fullness. In 2 Timothy, Paul instructs the young apprentice, Timothy, that even believers can be manipulated by bad attitudes. Believers can be manipulated in their gossip and in quarrels among each other. And he says this, and what they do is they fall into the trap of the devil who is taking them captive to his will. There are always quarrels in families. There is always disputes in families. There's always things that we don't see eye to eye with one another. And families are meant to sit down and work it out, not overnight, over a long period of time. Sometimes wounds take ages to be healed, but we know we're committed to, it, to that. We fall out, we fall back in. When there is a dispute that basically says we have got no relationship with one another, Paul is saying to Timothy, it's a trap of the devil. It's a battle that is all around you. And he will continue to do this, divide and conquer, divide and conquer, divide and conquer. Remember our reading from week one, and it was Jesus' manifesto, the, the Isaiah manifesto. We read from Luke chapter four, and I'll briefly just read these words to you. Jesus said this of his ministry. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, etc. That's what the gospel of Jesus Christ does. It brings victory over sin. It gives healing to wounds. It defeats the plans of the evil one. And then our reading from week two was 1 John 3. And in it we read this. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning of time. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And we looked at how the word destroy means to loosen, to dissolve, to sever, to, to demolish. The root meaning of that word destroy means to come unstuck. Jesus came to take the plans of the devil and to break them up. That's why he came into the world. In the fullness of time, he came to free us from evil and demonic influences that would have our destruction and not our life in all of its fullness. And then in this week, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 28, we read this. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, Jesus is speaking here. 
He then goes on to say, Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. This, Jesus' ministry, what he was doing and saying and the effects of it, was a sign of the messianic kingdom. In spirit, at least, Jesus had come into the world. And then in verse 29, Jesus says this, How can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Jesus in this image, in this analogy, is the stronger man who is tying up the strong man, Satan. That is what Jesus has come to do, to take the strong man with all his um, with all his bragging, with all his schemes, with all his plans to bring our destruction and to continually rebel against God. And Jesus has come to bind him up because he is stronger. He's invaded Satan's house. He's overcome him. He's taken his weapons. And now Jesus claims his spoils. We preach the cross of Jesus Christ in this church. We're all Jock Tamsin's bairns, but we preach the cross of Jesus Christ. We sing of the work of the blood of Jesus Christ, and we testify to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But have we mined the depths of the victory of Calvary and what it means to us? Have we truly mined the depths of the significance of the cross? We praise God for the victory over sin. We praise God for the victory and the healing of our wounds. But do we fully appreciate the extent of Calvary's victory over the demonic realm? Colossians 2, 15, Paul says this to those believers who were born again concerning Jesus. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, Jesus made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So our ministry is to proclaim the victory of the cross, not only over sins and the wounds of our life, but over the powers and principalities, the demonic realm. And by the power of Jesus and through the Holy Spirit, see people released from the bondage of the satanic. That is part of our ministry. Jesus says so in Mark 16, 17. These signs will accomplish those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. That is not stopped with the apostles. Explore how the early church were involved in this ministry. Francis McNutt's got a book, many books on healings, and he speaks about the healing ministry. And it's called The Greatest crime almost committed something like that and that's one easy book where he charts how the early church continued to be involved in the ministry of the forgiveness of sins and the healing of wounds and the casting out of the demonic and bringing the kingdom of god to earth so what about believers in the demonic that was another question that came to my mind as i read this I wouldn't encourage any of us to be overly in, interested in the demonic. I just want to say that just now. I, I, would be a lot, I would have a lot of work in my hands if one of you came to me and said, I believe my ministry is of exorcism. I would, I would be like, oh, no. 
help, Lord, how do I pastorally and leadership lead? I don't know what to do at that point. We know the Catholic Church continues to have priests, and that's their main ministry. I think it used to be in parishes. They had one who was always considered the exorcist and who would come in. But neither would I encourage any of us to be apathetic about the influence of the demonic on us and on the church. Divide and conquer, divide and conquer, divide and conquer. Would any of us therefore suggest that when we're born again, sin no longer is a problem to us? No, of course we wouldn't. We continually struggle with the the things in our life. Even though we are saved, we are born again. Is worldly matters or worldly influences no longer a problem for us? No. Things out there affect us as much as our inner thoughts and habitual habits affect us in becoming like Christ or not becoming like Christ. What about the fallen nature? Is that not a problem? Of course it is. We are being saved. We are saved, but continually being sanctified to become like Christ. The work the Lord has begun, He will bring it about to completion. We're in a process. You'll notice at the beginning of Corinthians, I think it is, even though that church were high and mighty and engaging in all sorts of spiritual disciplines and all sorts of spiritual gifts, they were forgetting about the needs of the poor, of the poorer people around about them. And Paul calls them to task on that, amongst other things. And yet right at the beginning, Paul calls them the sanctified church, something like that. So we are a work in progress so if we, we continue to struggle with sin, we continue to struggle with wounds and, and, and getting on with one another, etc. Why then should the, the demonic not be a problem for us? Of course, it still is an issue for us. Time and again, the Bible warns of the works of the devil. Remember that the New Testament was written for the church. Gospels, even though they may have had a Jewish feel or a very... Well, certainly one gospel was very Jewish in its field because it was addressed to Jewish believers and non-believers. These are books for us, for our edification, for us to grow. And there's lots of material in the New Testament warning us about the powers and principalities that are waging war against us and how we are. Even look at the, the churches in Revelation, the seven churches. I can never remember which one, but Jesus turns to this church and said, you are neither hot and you are neither cold, so I spit you out. They'd become lukewarm. Restore unto me, the psalmist said, the joy of, my sal- of thy salvation. Renew a right spirit within me. And I, don't, I can't remember if that was David that wrote that psalm, but we know that David was flawed in all his ways, but he was a man after God's own heart. So we need to be aware of the demonic. Finally, this is not finally, finally, but just finally, Paul says, I've got a few wee things I want to throw in there first. Paul says this in Galatians 6, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand at church against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
If we have a problem with one another, it will be wounds, it will be sin, it will be the demonic. If we get problem as a church in moving forward, it will be because of sins, wounds, or the influence of the demonic. I don't believe that those who are born again can be possessed by the devil. Don't believe that at all. The concept of possession is a concept of ownership. And when you possess something, you own it. And we are not talking about ownership because as Christians, we cannot be owned by the devil because we are owned by Christ. The life I live in the body, I live by faith through the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ. But I believe it's more accurate to talk about the influence of the demonic in believers' lives. All of us, every single one of us, I would say without exception, to a degree, lesser degree or whatever, is influenced by the powers and principalities of this dark world. How can this happen? Well, think of it like this. You own a home, you rent it out. A tenant comes and spends six months minimum in there as your tenant. And they can literally do whatever they want. If they trash your house, they don't get your, their deposit back. But they are taking that home and they are influencing it. And one way or another, overbearing on you, they may be great tenants and give you the rent every month on the dot and it's wonderful and they leave the place immaculate. Or there could be tenants who struggle or tenants who abuse your property. When we give the devil a right to be in our lives, it's like he comes in and takes residency. Or if you are, are opening up one or two of your rooms to Airbnb, so you're actually living there, and unfortunately you rent it to a stag party. <laughs> At that very moment, you don't sleep, you're anxious, you're, it's frustrating, and you've got that influence brought right into your shilling, into your home, into your placeful peace, and your protected place. And it's like that. Even though we are owned by Jesus, we can give the enemy permission for certain ground in our life. Using uh, that analogy, hopefully it brings it more, more to you. Hopefully you can imagine it a little bit more. When we obey the Word of God, the Holy Spirit empowers our decisions. Equally so, when we make ungodly choices and effectively follow the direction, the plan of the devil, of the evil one, well, the enemy will seek to empower those choices. Just as the Holy Spirit empowers godly choices, the enemy seeks to empower ungodly choices and have an influence. Remember in YWAM, I never grew up in YWAM, but I was very involved in YWAM. Some of the teaching was that the devil likes to get a foothold. Whatever it may be, habitual sin, anger, you've not been healed, you're frustrated and you're disappointed with the Lord. You don't, uh, you go to sleep in your anger and you don't make up with your spouse. My wife is notorious for this. I can easily just have an argument and go to sleep, but my wife has never, ever, ever, ever allowed me to do that. It bugs me, it's right, 
I know it's right, but it bugs me no end because I easily, because I'm stubborn. But I need to watch that that stubbornness is not a foothold for the evil one to have an influence in my life. I take that stubbornness into my leadership role, into my pastoring role. Restore unto me, Lord, the joy of thy salvation. Renew your right spirit within me. So the empowering forces, when they get a foothold, light to bring ungodly behavior in our lives and in the lives of the community. So if we engage in habitual sinful behavior, we're overcome. At times, the sinful behavior, the habitual behavior can develop into a coping mechanism, sometimes for deep wounds in our spirit. Another reason why it can be difficult to dislodge sin in our lives, the demonic has got an empowerment in there. Discernment, discernment, discernment. Lord, what is going on? So the bottom line is this, as I bring this to a conclusion. Whether we participate knowingly or unknowingly in ungodly behavior, the enemy is looking to have a foothold. The enemy is looking to have something in our lives that he has a right to influence the rest of our life over. Our job is to discern. Our job is to practice the presence of God. Seek, find with all of our heart the Lord Jesus. He wants to build a stronghold, the evil one. And eventually, if that stronghold is allowed over time to exist, it eventually becomes a stranglehold in our lives. Beware, church. Divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. Divide and conquer is the way in which the devil has always approached the church and all sorts of accusations thrown in there as well. So in conclusion, let's not be paranoid, but if God witnesses that there is a problem in any area of our life, we need to deal with it, especially if we're not moving on in our Christian life. There'll be a reason for that. Don't invent things up. <laughs> Please don't invent things up. It's, you know, um, let's bring it to the Holy Spirit and let Him speak to our conscience or through the counsel of trusted, older, mature, or younger, but mature believers who can speak and bring the discernment of the Lord into your lives. But let me be brutally honest because I don't know everyone in here. You cannot do a Switzerland here. There is no such thing as neutrality. You're either for him or you're against him. If you're against Christ, the Bible says the evil one is pulling your strings. Because we were created in his image and he says it is good. But we've turned our own ways and rejected him. And he pursues us and pursues us, has demonstrated that more, most fully in the cross of Christ and in the resurrection of the risen one. But you can't do a Switzerland. It's a myth. Because Jesus actually says at the end of Matthew 12, and verse 30, he says, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. There is a spiritual battle going on today. Neutrality is not an option. God's plan for you is for you to be born again in the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, to get completely delivered and of the flesh of sin and, and to be completely controlled by the Lord. And that is life in all of its fullness. 
This becoming a Christian and just simply ticking over week in, week out, month in, one month out, year in, year out, but not becoming like Christ really is no option and is not life in all of its fullness. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Shall we just be silent for a while? A good five minutes or so. Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of God is near. So if you're in that place, it's not rocket science. In the quietness of your heart, pour out your, your life to the Lord. And that may be a long process, but call in the name of the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Acknowledge who he is and he will acknowledge you before the Father. And what a wonderful thing for Jesus to acknowledge you before the Father. And if you know the love and the power of Christ in your life and yet feel stuck, pray the Lord would give you discernment. Pray the Lord by His Spirit would bring Knowledge that is not common knowledge, but knowledge of what is holding you back. And yet my counsel would be that if you still find it difficult daily to spend time with him, to open his word, be silent, I'd encourage you to start there as well. Spend time in relationship with the Father through his Son and by his Spirit. Practice the presence of God. And Lord, as a church family, have mercy on us for the missed opportunities, for the kingdom building that is not of you. And pray that, Father, you would take the rightful place in our hearts, in our midst, and that love would be the hallmark of our life together. We pray in Christ's name for your glory and by your spirit. Amen. Amen.